What's up y'all, Rayshawn here, and I hope you're having an amazing 2024 so far. I'm really excited about everything that's gonna happen this year, mainly because for me, I get to graduate in May, because grad school has been taking a toll on me, y'all. Uh, but we'll talk more about that later. For today's episode, is very interesting because we're gonna talk about some things that we haven't talked about on the podcast before, which uh, is really about the digital age that we're in right now, where things are crazy uh, with news, clickbait, misinformation, disinformation, and how that ties into us on campus and how we're allowed to say what we need to say, uh, but also having feeling like we're in a safe space being on a college campus. So first up, we have Kim Vickers. She is from Good Morning Augusta. She's an amazing AU alum, and she's gonna talk a little bit about media literacy and how we can be more conscious about how we behave online, and just some best practices about how to be on the lookout for things that tie back into misinformation. And then we have Dr. Scott Wallace, who is our Dean of Students, as well as Dee Mallory is back, our SGA president, to talk a little bit more about how we handle things on campus uh, when it comes to students expressing themselves and that freedom of speech. And I think that's super important because college is supposed to be a melting pot. You're supposed to be able to interact with people who don't think like you, look like you, or believe in the same things that you believe in, and we're supposed to be able to get along. So stay tuned, because we have a really excellent episode to have this conversation. Well, Kim, thanks for being here on the show. Um, as we get started, do you mind sharing a little bit about your interest in news and I guess your connection to Augusta University as an alum? Sure, so I actually started school here at Augusta University in the spring of 1999. Um, the campus looked a lot different than it does right now. Uh, really not the same at all. Um, and you know, I, it just as a lot of young people do, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I bounced around from this major to that major. Um, and then, you know, I got married and, you know, we, we found out we we're having our, our oldest daughter. And so I took time off to be a mom for 12 years. And then in 2018, I came back and, you know, said, okay, let's finish whatever degree I was most finished with. <laughs> and uh, so I, I did. And um, as far as the news thing, it wasn't really a, a lifelong dream. I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to be on Broadway. That was my dream. And I took a TV production class here just to fill a slot um, for graduation. And at the very end, we had a, um, a class project we had to do, which was like a three-story news arc, and they needed, they wanted a male and a female to to fill in as anchor, and I was like, well, I've been acting since I was 15. I can act like an anchor. How hard, hard can it be? And so I did it, and uh, across the desk of Dr. Bola, and um, he approached me and told me to, to think about it as a career, and so I thought about it, and I decided I needed an internship anyway, so I went to WJBF and interned and then never left. So I felt like I was home. So uh, the only regret I have is not doing it sooner. That's awesome. As a fellow Kamalub, I'm super proud of all of the things that you've accomplished oh, on you. WJBF. Um, but for today, we want to talk a little bit about media literacy uh, and seeing that you're in the lo local news. I thought you'd be an excellent guest to talk about it with. Uh, can you share your definition of media literacy and kind of why it's important? Um, really knowing what media is. So many people think that media, you think you hear the word media and you immediately think it's news media. And then you immediately really think national news media, um, which, you know, can be pretty divisive. So, but there's all kinds of media. You've got, you know, social media, you've got radio, you've got, you know, you know, written media. Um, and so knowing the difference and also knowing, you know, how easy it is to, you know, I mean, if it's, if, if it's an online magazine or a blog, 
anybody can write whatever they want to write, you know, so knowing the difference between what is going to be a valid source of information versus an opinion or just straight out, you know, lies. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because a lot of times people do get opinions and facts confused based on how it's presented. Um, so yeah, having that like verifiable news source is really important. Exactly. And that's a, that's a huge thing that drives me crazy right now is that, you know, just because you don't agree with what is in a news story, and we get this a lot with local media is people will say that we're being biased. No, we're not being biased. It's you don't like the facts and mm. it doesn't agree with your opinion. So therefore, you know, we're biased. No, this is, this, there's a difference between fact and opinion. And, you know, it, that, it, that, that line seems to have gotten very blurred in the last five to 10 years. Yeah, and I also see a lot of times like on social media, people will share their opinions, but then present them as facts. Mm -hmm. So then that kind of just adds to that confusion in today's digital age of like, how do you tell the difference between what is opinion and what is facts? Um, so as a reporter, how do you navigate through that? Um, just doing my research, knowing for certain that what I'm reporting is the truth. Um, you know, if I, if I'm reporting on something that I have strong opinions on, it tends to take me a lot longer to put that story together because I am just going nitpicking every syllable that I write just to make sure that in no way does it show my opinion on that particular topic, but also that I don't cross over into trying so hard to not show my opinion that I start leaning and giving a little bit more time and um, I guess focus on the other side as well, trying to trying to toe that line and, and be directly in the middle. Um, that, that can be difficult, but you know, I mean, if you just know that you've done your homework and that you've talked to the people you need to talk to and you've done the research you need to do, then, you know, people are going to say what people are going to say. You can't make everybody happy. That's, that's really true. Um, in your opinion, how do you think institutions like Augusta University should present media, media literacy to like all students, not just those who may be interested in going into news or communication, but just students on campus? I mean, it couldn't hurt to have a class because in this day and age, you know, when I first started school back in 1999, we didn't have the social media. I think um, we had MySpace just starting and then I had a Facebook when Facebook was only for college students. So you had to have a college ad uh, email address. But now with social media um, and just the having all of the information that we have at our fingertips, just, just on our phones, um, I think it's important that that a class on media literacy needs to be part of the core, you know, how to differentiate between fact and opinion, how to tell if something is real or not. People can take any picture and any video and, 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 and slant it to make it seem like something is said or done that wasn't said or done. Um, so being able to look out for that, find, you know, figure out, and, and I mean, that goes with scams, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. you've got, I run a group for my high school alumni and people, somebody will get in there and they'll post something about a fake t-shirt and it's not real. It's a total scam. So I've started um, having all of the comments have to come through me. So they figured that out. They'll type out something like, oh, when did everybody graduate? And they're like, okay, that's legit post. And then an hour later, they've changed it over to that 
that scam, you know, uh, oh, t-shirt wow. thing again. So you have to watch out for that. It's the same thing with like sharing, you know, that there's a dog missing or, you know, um, uh, come adopt this puppy or whatever that they'll do that and then they will change it to something you know where they'll try to get money out of somebody so being able to recognize things like that um i i just think that it's so important and i think that having a class to help you know teach people that kind of stuff is i think honestly it, it, it should be required in this day and age yeah i'm inclined to agree with that because like you just said there's so many different aspects of media like you mentioned earlier and letting folks know like hey it's so easy, like you said, to edit stuff and make things fit into what you want people to think. Like on TikTok all the time when I'm scrolling or just doom scrolling away at night, uh, you can see, you know, interactions of people just, you know, arguing, whatever, you know, is going on. And then now I'm always having to think more objectively. Like, I wonder what was happening before this person started recording, right? Mm -hmm. Like what led to them acting this way? Because they're just posting this, you know, the highlight of that moment, maybe not everything that led up to it. So now, even just in my mind, I'm instead of being outraged as much as I probably would have mm-hmm. a few years ago, I'm now thinking like, oh, there's probably more to the story. Yes, 100%. And, you know, back in the day, aging myself <laughs> here, but when you could take out a phone, you know, camera and shoot something, there wasn't editing software on your phone where you could do that. You put, you know, you have a video, that's the video, you know, and you know, now kids, everybody mm-hmm. can, you know, get on iMovie and cut what they want to cut and post what they want to post. And it's very, very misleading. And it sometimes makes somebody look bad that was actually the victim in a situation. Yeah. And also now with social media, like everyone kind of has the same access to those platforms. So everyone can have a voice, which, on one hand, is like, yeah, that's great, but then it can be dangerous when, you know, not used ethically or responsibly. Sure, and you got to be careful, too, especially, you know, when you're out in public, anything you say or do, you always have to assume there's a camera on you. I've had to tell my children this, you know, no matter what, always, always assume that somebody is recording. You do not act in a way that you would not want mm-hmm. uh, recorded and posted, because once that's on the internet, it's on the internet forever. There's no getting rid of it. Mm-hmm. Were there any specific resources that you used at your time as a student here that kind of helped you become the amazing reporter that you are now? Um, the professors, honestly, um, you know, not, not at the, I don't know about now, but I actually do think that there's a couple now that were in uh, television broadcast uh, media, but at the time, I think most of them had been in, uh, in, a, in print journalism, um, but they were able to kind of help me make the contacts that I needed to make. Uh, in order to, you know, forward, you know, my, my goals in, in, in my career. And uh, as far as the classes and stuff, I mean, there, I think the one thing that I took away from any single class was in communication theory. And I don't even remember what the name of the theory was. But <laughs> it, the, it was the idea that the news media doesn't tell you what to think. They tell you what to think about. You know, they're the gatekeepers of saying, hey, this is important. This is what you need to know. But don't. But it's not our job to say this is what you need to know and this is how you what you should think about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like the key principle of what journalism is about. Like you said, is not trying to be biased and tell people what to think, but just kind of giving them that information. Um, but switching back, I guess a little bit more to the misinformation side of things. What would you say are some like red flags for people to look out for 
when they're trying to decipher on whether or not this is legit. A lot of times sensationalism, you know, you'll look at something, you'll be like, what? And I, even now I do that. I'll read something on social media and be like, oh my gosh, you have to be kidding me. And okay, wait, breathe. <laughs> now it's time to do your research. You know, just, uh, if it seems, if, if it seems like it's there to make you angry or elicit some kind of an emotional response from you, then there's a good chance that it's, if it's not completely fake, then it's at least, you know, partially that there's only bits and pieces of, of factual information. Um, you also need to look at who it's coming from. You know, if, if you follow a lot of people that, uh, you know, and I do it, everybody does it. You follow people, you know, in, in news media and, you know, celebrities, whatever, that tend to think a lot like you think. Um, and if they're posting it, then there's going to be an, a, an opinion, a bias slant to it. So you have to make sure that you're looking um, beyond that, Google it, find out who's reporting it. If only one, you know, if conservative.com or, or, you know, uh, liberal.org are the only ones that are posting it, then there's a good chance that it's either not true or it's only got small bits of fact in it. So you have to do your research. If it's a, uh, uh, the AP, if it's Reuters, if it's uh, NPR, pretty likely that those are going to be, you know, solid, reliable news sources. Um, so just kind of look and see who else is reporting whatever it is that you, you've you seen. But like I said, sensation, sensationalism tends to be like my number one red flag. And, you know, the other one thing that people do a lot is, you know, they'll get on social media and they'll post about some celebrity dying and they'll be dead. Look it up. They probably died 10 years ago. This stuff yeah. just keeps getting recycled and recycled and recycled. So that's an, and that's another thing. If somebody's reposting a news story, click on it, check it out, check the date. That's one of the first things I always do. Check the date because it could have happened a decade ago. Um, and it's just, you know, riling people back up. Yeah, I hate when they like recycle news stories and try to make it seem like, oh, this just happened. I'm like, hmm. When you look at the date and it's like 2012. Mm hmm. Okay. Yep. This is old news. <laughs> so old news. <laughs> um, how would you, or what would you recommend for folks to kind of help break out of the echo chamber, like you mentioned of, yeah, I only follow celebrities, family, friends, folks who just think like me. And so that news article that may have been shared is getting reshared or from different sources. So it's just kind of, I'm living in my own little bubble. Like, how do you have... What do you recommend for people to break out of that? Um, and it's it's easy to want to do that because you want to protect your peace. And in this day and age, with so much divisiveness, especially politically, um, it, it it it's easy to want to just be like, okay, this needs to be more of a safe space for me. But you're not going to be fully informed if you just do that. You're just going to have you know people feeding, and you're just going to be feeding you know a narrative that may not be 100% factual. Um, as much as, you know, we might l like to believe that what our opinion is, is completely factual. It, it, nobody's opinion is factual. Um, so, you know, just follow somebody that might have a different opinion than you do that, you know, doesn't grate your nerves. You know, there, there are going to be people that there's no way I'm following them because then yeah. I would be mad all the time. Yeah. But there might be somebody else that I'm like, okay, you know what? I respect you. I respect your opinion. I don't necessarily respect your, your thoughts, your beliefs, but I can, I can listen to you and I can, I can, I can stomach you. So, you know, get those people, add those people, get those people in your news feed, And then you may see that you're not only getting a broader view of a topic, but you're also going to have a little bit more of both sides of the story. So I have a little fun game that I wanted to play with you called Wild Words. 
So I'm going to give out some words uh, that kind of relate to today's topic. And I want you to just give your best uh, of giving your first thoughts. So first up is verification. Always verify. Always verify. Don't just automatically believe that something is uh, true just because you saw it. I mean, somebody said earlier that a lot of people over the age of 50 are really bad about just believing whatever it is they see on the internet because it's on the mm. internet. And these are the same people that told us, uh, don't believe everything you see on TV. Mm-hmm. Now they're the ones that believe everything they read on the internet. So double, triple, quadruple check and make sure that it's true. Next up, censorship. I hate censorship. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not up to me to tell you what you can and can't read or can and can't watch. I can just not read or watch it, or if it's, you know, something to do with my children, I can say, hey, I really don't want you guys reading or watching this. Um, But it's not up to one person to parent somebody else's children or to um, police what other people are watching or reading or what media they're taking in. Headlines. They can be sensationalist sometimes, you know, but that's the point of them. You know, people do get really mad if there's a headline that seems sensationalized, but the point of a headline isn't to give you all the information. So many people will take the headline and just, that's that's the whole that's thing. All, yeah, yep. that's and the that's, whole story. You know, all that's supposed to do is draw you in so that you'll watch the video, so that you'll read the article. Actually do that. Don't try to get all your information from a headline because it's not there. Propaganda. Hmm. I think we probably see more of that in the United States than what people uh, want to believe. You think of propaganda, you think of, you know, communism, you think of that. But, you know, there's plenty of that in our own political society. People who are, you know, especially these days, you've got both sides saying, oh, that side's evil. They're wrong or they're not real Americans because they don't agree with the way we, you know, are. And it's gotten it's gotten pretty bad. So it's unfortunately more prevalent than than I, I would like. Clickbait. I hate it. We were talking about that earlier. I cannot stand being interested in a news story and getting on there and having to scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and it, it not either not be anything like what the headline as mm-hmm. earlier is or that it takes forever just to figure out what it was. I'll usually either Google like the names of the people that were in the story or go to the comments and try to figure out what happened because I don't want to read through all that. It just annoys me. Like I don't like. Th- I automatically think of like those articles where it's like ten things you never knew about blah blah blah, and number six will have you, you know, lose your brain or whatever. And, and I'm then like, you never get to number six. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Exactly. I'll skip number six. Uh, deep fake. I don't even know what that is. What is that? Deep fakes are uh, kind of like that advanced level AI where people can basically take someone's likeness or their face. Mm. Yeah, that, that bothers me. Um, is, is it the same idea as, like, uh, using them for actors? or Yeah, that, that's a little scary in my, in my <laughs> um, career field right now because, I mean, how much longer before they, you know, stop using reporters and stop using anchors and start using AI oh, right. and, and programming AI to do the news stories? It's really kind of scary. And, you know, I, actors are, have got the right idea, and so do the writers in Hollywood with their strike to make sure that their jobs are safe. And I honestly... I think journalists need to wise up and do the exact same thing. Algorithm. They have their place, but it it's I miss you miss so much. If you got a lot of people on on social media or on anything and you know you, you miss things. Yeah. You know, you, I miss posts. There's there's people that I'm close to that I didn't know something happened to um, because they dropped out of my algorithms or however that works and so they weren't popping up and I 
something terrible happened and I missed it, you know, yeah. and then you feel terrible. So now they, they're, I know they have their place and there's a reason for them, but it, I don't like them. I don't like them very much either. <laughs> <laughs> and last word is whistleblowing. That one's hard because I can understand why there need, is need for secrecy in certain things like um, military, like government. You know, you've got to protect the country, but at the same time, if something really, you know, bad is going down, something really shady is going down, then people have the right to know. You know, I, I as a journalist, I'm very much, you know, people do have the right to know. People don't have the right to know, I, in my opinion, people's personal lives, but if it affects large amounts of people if if what you're doing as a government um official is you know stealing money is underhandedly doing something that's going to affect the country as a whole um it it needs to be it needs to be said and you know there's several people that have gone to jail that i believe did the right thing yeah um looking back how do you feel that your career has evolved from the time you left here as a student to now? Majorly. I just celebrated four years. Um, oh, congrats. At, at, thank you. At WJBF. And that was from being hired, not from starting as an intern. You know, you go in and you don't know anything. You know, you think you do, but you don't. You know nothing. I learned everything about um, my job on the job. Um, you know, I started out knowing very little. Um, students here at Augusta University taught me or at least gave me the foundation of how to edit video. I'd never done that in my life. And I could write, but I could write essays and learning how to write for television news. You go from being, you know, wordy mm -hmm. in an essay or a story to being like, okay, how can you get as much information across in as few words as possible? And then you have to remember, I have, I have a pretty large vocabulary. You can't write with a large vocabulary. You have to mm -hmm. write like you're talking to middle school students so that they can understand yeah. what you're talking about. So that, that there's been a big evolution. I was just talking about this this morning too. You kind of get a little bit jaded. You know, everything is a big story when you start. And after a while, you're like, I cannot tell. <laughs> I can't do a story on your child being bullied. Yes, I'm angry for you. Yes, it's terrible. And I feel for you. But if I did a story on every child that's being bullied at school, that's all I would do is stories about kids being bullied you know so you get a little bit jaded but you but I've learned you know what's news and what's not um I've learned you know how to write better and I've learned skills that I never had before and a lot of it's thanks to you know people that I went to school with here at Augusta University as well as professors well thank you so much for sharing some insights I really appreciate it and I hope everyone watching can kind of go out into the world and be a little bit more media literate all right thank you so much for having me Hi, my name is Bethany and I'm excited to share with you about the Center for Writing Excellence at Augusta University. The CWE is here to assist you with all things related to writing, speaking, and composing. We help with any kind of paper, ranging from your first year English composition essays to lab reports. We also help with speeches and presentations for classes or outside events like conferences. Finally, we can also support you as you draft and revise multimodal assignments. These include things like PowerPoints, infographics, research posters, videos, podcasts, and more. You can come to the CWE for help at any stage in the composing process. We think some of the most productive appointments happen when students come before they've even started. 
During brainstorming sessions, we can review your assignment requirements, make sure you understand them, and then come up with a plan for drafting and completing the project. We provide feedback on drafts, help you with revisions, and help you understand professor feedback. Wherever you are in your process, we're here to help. So how does all this work? It's pretty easy. The CWE is completely free to students, and you can book up to one appointment per day during your time at AU. Sessions are typically one-on-one -on -one and last about 45 minutes. You can come see us in person or online. For online sessions, you can do a live video chat or opt to get written feedback from a consultant. The CWE is staffed by friendly peer consultants, mostly made up of AU undergraduates who have received training in the discipline of writing. We also have consultants who work with our graduate and professional students, as well as AU faculty and staff. The CWE is located on the Somerville campus in Allgood Hall and on Health Sciences campus in Greenblatt Library. And of course, you can also meet with us online from wherever you're at. Learn more about the CWE on our website listed on the screen and follow us on Instagram at AUG underscore CWE. We can't wait to work with you and wish you the best on your AU journey. Well, welcome y'all to the show. Really excited to have y'all here. But before we dive in, I wanted to, I guess, reminisce with you, Dr. Wallace, a little bit because <laughs> Dee's SGA president way back when, I was also SGA president when you were uh, the advisor as well. And I wanted to see what did you remember most about me back then? Oh, wow. <laughs> how was I as SGA president back then? Well, I have had the pleasure of, um, you know, serving as advisor to both of you guys as president. And um, yeah, I, sometimes uh, you think about those SGA and, and what sticks out is sometimes the tumultuous yeah. issues and sometimes it's uh, the, um, the wins that you had. And um, I think that, you know, your SGA presidency was a time of transition and, and you know, we were real young as an institution still, um, coming right out of Georgia Regents University into Augusta University. And um, so what do I, I'm trying to think what I remember most about your presidency. I mean, I feel like you, you led with compassion. Uh, what I remember is, um, I know there was, um, you know, there's, and this is not uncommon, but there was, there were issues with, uh, um, elected officials and, and, uh, in the conflict resolution and trying to re resolve those conflicts. Um, so those are some things that I do remember, but I'm trying to remember what, uh, you know, what best describes your leadership, but I do remember the, the compassion and, and some of the, um, you know, conversations that we had and conversations you had with, uh, with the, with the broader general and the, um, the Senate body, um, as well as your, your leadership team. But, uh, yeah, that, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I should remember more than that. Uh, I often remember when we were talking, you would always say that, you know, you may not enjoy all the seeds you plant today. Yeah. And I was like, if I can just get just a little bit of shade from the <laughs> trees that I want to plant. <laughs> right. I'd be so well, happy. Actually, I think you are. You know, you've been able to, to stay around in, yeah. uh, it, maybe not as a student, but as as an employee, some of those things that you put in place, it seems like you're, you're able to enjoy some of that. Yeah, um, I know Dee's heard me say this and so many others that as an SGA um, leader, you don't always enjoy the, the shade of the mm -hmm. trees of, 
the seeds you're planting of those trees. It's just, it takes time to blossom and grow. Yeah. But I do feel like over the years, SJ has grown tremendously since. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You're doing great. Thank you. <laughs> but transitioning <laughs> into the topic for today, um, just diving right in to talk about freedom of speech and expression because that's, I want to say, always very hot topic uh, on campus. But can you provide an overview of, I guess, the campus policy and how the campus looks at freedom of speech and expression and how does that still help us remain to be an inclusive institution? Yeah. Yeah, so, um, so what I'll say at the beginning of this is that I think that our freedom of expression policy does not always feel like we're open to diverse issues, right? But um, and I think that's the, the issue that we're seeing across America right now is that freedom of expression, freedom of speech um, doesn't always make us feel good. And those feelings, um, though they do matter, um, are kind of hard to, hard to reason with, right? So our freedom of expression policy follows the United States and the state of Georgia Constitution. And there is a very high bar set in the United States with our current, the United States Constitution that we've had, um, you know, for, for a couple of centuries now. Um, and so we believe that, um, well, first off, we know that where there is a um, diversity of thought, where there is um, a, um, a tenor and, a, and an environment where expression or um, radical ideas are welcomed, because we know that radical ideas that are, that are highly contested, radical ideas that are debated, um, change the world. And so if we don't have an environment that is open to, um, to you know, debating the radical ideas and debating the issues, uh, then we're not going to progress as, as people. Uh, so from an institution perspective, that's why it's important um, academically uh, that we progress our world forward in, a, in an area or in, a, in an environment where um, it's a, it's a, we're, we're open to dialogue. Um, our... Freedom of expression policy, um, as, as I said, has a very high bar. So it has to be, you know, it's inciting some type of, um, um, you know, you're inciting someone to go do something that is illegal or um, there's an imminent threat of bodily harm. It can't be imminent threat of, of um, social, social isolation or imminent threat of, of getting, you know, having feelings hurt. It has to be bodily harm and it's got to be imminent and direct. Uh, so it's a really high bar set there, and I think that's that's sometimes hard for us to take, you know, because uh, we want people to be respectful. Yeah. Uh, we want people to to um, treat people kindly, and and um, but that doesn't doesn't always happen. We're uh, we're human, <laughs> and so sometimes we it gets it gets messy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. So I guess as uh, being a part of the university leadership, how do you go about? maintaining that same sense of, I guess, university's core values, but also at the same time allowing people to express themselves and say what they feel like they should be able to say. Yeah, um, and that's, that's challenging, right? Because mm -hmm. we do have core values of inclusivity. Mm -hmm. um, and then when we have someone who, who speaks out against a, 
um, you know, whether it's Jewish, we're seeing, we're seeing that um, across, um, uh, on campuses across the nation, whether it's a, a particular race with LGBT or gender um, issues, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. um, it, it does kind of go against what our, what our values are mm-hmm. of inclusive, inclusivity. At the same time, we have a policy in place and, and we have a, our constitution that protects that speech. Um, so as a community and as a, as a university leader, what we have to do is um, we can um, denounce that. We can say that this, um, this speech goes directly against our, our values. Uh, and, um, you know, we don't agree with this speech. Uh, but we can't punish someone for, mm-hmm. for that speech. Uh, so it's about punishment versus what we can say to denounce it. Um, and then on the back end of that, we as a as Augusta University, something that we have tried to do is not just say that we are with you, but we've we've tried to meet with various groups whenever we've we've had issues on our campus. Um, um, we've met with our uh, just recently we've used the most recent issues um, in the world. Uh, we've met with our our Jewish student uh, Jewish students and student organizations uh, on on campus. Um, we had to hear what they believe their issues are and, and how we can help them. We've also met with our uh, Muslim students. And um, so we're trying to meet with the, the various groups on our campus to say, hey, how can we support you through this? Um, so that's some of the things that we can do as, as university leaders. And Dee, from uh, a student perspective, especially with SJ, um, what oversight do y'all give or support are y'all able to provide to students kind of wanting to express themselves or uh, just kind of going off of Dr. Wallace here, there may be a certain student that feels like, you know, they're being targeted on campus. What, how does SGA come into play for that? So, I mean, just like Dr. Wallace said, and I, I think, quick note before, I think this is an interesting topic to discuss, especially with Dr. Wallace's, because we've had conversations, you know, talking about, you know, what do you do in an instance where somebody says something hateful and, yeah. and you, it completely goes against how you feel? Well, it's, you know, we can't really punish them for it going against our value, not going against the policy that's different. Um, and so I believe the same thing applies to SGA as well. Um, we have a body that if they feel as if something that happens on campus is especially uh, an attack that's direct and imminent um, or a threat, uh, we have general oversight to make a statement. Um, It just is a matter of when do we make a statement and when do we not make a statement. Um, And I think that in conferences that I've had, such as SAT conferences, we've talked about one of those times and it it really comes down to, is this affecting our students? Is this, is this really like our, our students in distress? How can we best su- provide resources to our distressed students? Um, and that's really kind of the stance that we always take is very neutral. Um, a statement is never made unless it must be made. Um, and then we always try to provide resources to all parties um, so that we don't accidentally um, leave out another group or anything like that. So what resources have you been able to provide for students this past year? Well, well, we know what's going on in the world. And so um, we've also, I've met with certain religious groups as well. I know that people in my SGA have met for with certain religious groups. And then we've also, I mean, the, the main thing we usually do is, you know, we have student counseling and psychological services. 
Yeah. I mean, and, and that's really, you know, what it is being a ear and trying to, like I said before, without um, indirectly or not actively dis- disadvantaging another group, trying to figure out ways to support people. That's really what we, we're here for is just supporting students, all students. What does the, I guess, reporting process look like for a student who may feel maligned or targeted, whether it's on the individual basis or as a group? Like, what does that look like, Dr. Wallace? Yeah, um, the Dean of Students Office is that, um, is that reporting line. Specifically, we can work with students and, and find, and really to determine if, if a violation of our code of conduct occurred. Um, was that speech actually targeted at someone? And if so, then that may have, may cross the line um, of, of speech that is no longer protected, and we would act on that. Um, was it re- so repeated and um, so objectively offensive that it ultimately denied the student a right to the education, to their education? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's some specific language that we use in our harassment um, clause or harassment policy, if you will, as part of the code of conduct. So we're going to look into that to determine did a did a violation of our code of conduct occur or may or did it possibly occur, and then we're going to act from there to um, to run the pro you know run it through the our, the correct process um, through our, our our code of conduct. Um, was it in, you know was it so illegal or was it illegal you know do we need to get university police involved and um, probably when it comes to speech issues and we probably will so. We're going to look to, to see what occurred. Because the bar is so high, mm-hmm. it may not have met that threshold. And so what we can do, again, is offer the support, whether it's um, our counseling center, um, whether it's through um, you know, working with, other, with, a, with groups of individuals, um, whether it's having a, um, a, a session where we're you know, a listening session or a... Um, a program that we put on to to bring awareness to these issues or, or debate the issues, um, we can respond in that way. Additionally, uh, if there is you know discrimination involved, potentially potential discrimination involved, um, and we can uh, work with with the Office of Diversity and Inclusion, uh, Dr. Garrett Green's office currently and um, you know get the students to to that area um, that's another opportunity and option for our our students so i kind of got a, a hypothetical situation but i also feel like it likely has happened before <laughs> where let's say because we live in the digital age students see something that another student has posted on social media yeah. so how does that come into play where it's like, <laughs> yeah, this is their personal social media. Yes, they're a student here, but this didn't really occur on campus. Like, how does that? Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, how does that come into play? Because we see that a lot. We, um, every now and then we'll get it from another student that this student posted on social media. We saw this and it's, it's hateful. Mm-hmm. Um, they shouldn't be a student here because it, it goes against our values. Mm-hmm. And so, again, the protections of, of the First Amendment, um, you know, we would be in the wrong if we went after that student. Now, in some instances, we may have uh, may have an educational conversation with the students. Say, hey, do you did you realize how this may have ha- how this may have come across? Um, 
do you realize how your how your peers are are seeing this? And and I've had situations where um, students come in and they go, "Oh my goodness, I had no idea." Mm. Um, and sometimes by the 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 post, you can kind of determine if it was unintentional and and or if it was just really intentional. Yeah. Um, and even in in both cases, it it probably doesn't rise to the level of, of crossing that threshold. Um, but yeah, so we also have the, uh, the anonymous complaints that come in. This person posted this on social media. We, we know that they're a student in whatever program and they, they should be kicked out of the program. So it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. Dee, do you experience a lot of students coming out to you individually of like, hey, this student has done this or this group of people are doing this? And they expect you kind of to solve their problems. You are the president. Yeah. Not in this particular hypothetical. <laughs> okay. Um, and that's, I don't know. This is, yeah, not, this has never happened to me or not that I've been aware of. Um, mm -mm. <laughs> but I, like, like Dr. Wallace was saying, I also, it's, it's just one of those situations where, if it's not targeted at anyone, there's nothing you can really do about it. So it's just, you know, it's a tough situation. Yeah, it's definitely a tough uh, situation to be in. But I have a, I think it's kind of fun, but uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, a couple of scenarios that I want to run by y'all. Uh, so a little fun game of what if. And so I know these are all hypothetical, not based off of anything besides just me making this stuff up uh this morning so for those watching please don't think it's you know tied back to anything because um, i mean y'all probably know more about situations than i do at this point but just give me your thoughts on how the university and the nsga might handle certain things um the first one is how would the university handle a sudden appearance of a controversial art installation expressing strong opinions on campus what steps might be taken to balance artistic freedom and then the potential sensitivities of the arts? Well, I'm turning that over to SGA. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's so hard that... So... <laughs> I'm so, really kidding, but... So if it... First, what we would do is, of course, we would not investigate the issue, but what's going on? Like, what is, what is this? What, you know, what was the reason? How was this paid for? That's the biggest thing. <laughs> How was this paid for? Um, you know, who ordered this? You know, that's mm -hmm. the first thing. And then I think we would go about, you know, is this affecting any of our students? Is anyone hurt by this? Now, there's always times where people are hurt by everything, but um, I think that you can always gauge, you know, when this is truly a sensitive topic, this isn't something that should be displayed or something that that is not in agreement with our values. And I don't really know how artistic, I'm assuming the artistic freedom uh, would fall under the First Amendment policy or a freedom of expression policy. But um, I think as students, and especially as the SGA, if it was something that was truly affecting our students, we would denounce it and see if there was, you know, any, any, any way something could shake and well, break. Just to add to that, I think um, context does matter, right? Yeah. So is it, is yeah. it um, was it an art piece of art that was done as a as a class project and was planned to be posted wherever it was posted? Um, is it you know maybe it's a sculpture or maybe it's a you know an, a piece of of uh, 
painting or painting or drawing, um, is it in the right place? That's number one. If it was someone who just did a piece of art, even a student, and plastered it on the side, let's say it's a drawing, let's say it's, and, and they put it on the side of this building, oh, that would be in an inappropriate place, yeah. right? Because we, we do have public bulletin boards where anyone can post anything, but there are specific places where um, art and um, flyers or whatever can be, can be posted. So if it's not in the right place, we would remove it. Um, I mean, this, it would not even, even if it was a painting that we loved and it was in the wrong place, we're going to remove it. And <laughs> it's context yeah. dependent, but yet we're content neutral um, in our decisions about that. So, yeah, that's how we would handle, handle that. Next up, imagine a campus club organizing a debate on a highly sensitive topic that has uh, divisive opinions. How might the university support the club's freedom of expression while ensuring a respectful and inclusive environment during the event? So, so my hope is that the student organization and its advisor would notify university police or especially if it's going to draw a crowd um, that we would have some time to plan uh, in, in case there was protest, counter-protest, or not counter-protest, but protest for the event, um, we would have an opportunity to kind of plan for that. Um, in terms of it being controversial, I mean, I, I believe that controversial issues move, our, move us forward, yeah. right? We've got to debate. We've got to learn how to debate the issues and agree with someone um, without being disagreeable, right? Um, you know, we've we got to be in a, in a position where I feel comfortable going, Dee, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and this is how I see the world, yeah, yeah. right? And then we can have that debate, and by the end of the, and we may have to agree to disagree, but at least we've debated the issues and kind of grown as human beings. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I want to make a point to something that in this, in this conversation um, of freedom of expression and, and, and divisive things on campus. Uh, when I was at the University of Mississippi um, in an associate dean role, there was a street preacher, Brother Micah, who would come every April. And he would come and stand on campus and be there all week, and he would shout, you know, you're going to hell. I mean, your shorts are too short. You whatever. <laughs> oh, I mean, it was just, I, in my opinion, in my personal opinion, it was absurd. <laughs> and I did not like when Brother Micah would come to campus. But then I realized that students were having conversations about what they heard Brother Micah say. They were going, they were at lunch and at dinner, at study. They were actually having conversations about, hey, did you hear Brother Micah said this? And he was yelling this and this and this, and this was his point. And, and then they would say, well, <clears throat> Well, yeah, well, this is my view on that. And so they would, they would talk about the issues and talk about, uh, in this case, their, their religious views. And I realized that that's where the real learning takes place. Yeah. And there was great value in being exposed to a very broad number of, or, or a, in a broad spectrum of viewpoints. That's how we grow and how we develop and... and um, you know, and it prepares us for the global marketplace. Yeah, I definitely agree that being able to have those topics and just in college in general, being around people 
where you're bumping elbows for folks that don't think and believe the same things that you yeah. do, things that you may agree with or neutral or hate altogether. Just being, you know, in the classroom with some of those folks and just kind of hearing them out, like you mentioned earlier, and trying to at least understand where they're coming from, it can definitely help you grow. Absolutely. Uh, so last one. Suppose an anonymous blog emerged critiquing various aspects of campus life. How might the university respond to the anonymous criticism while respecting freedom of expression and encouraging open dialogue? I, well, from a university perspective, I don't think we should respond at all. Um, I mean, we have the, they have the right to criticize us um, as an institution. I say us, you know, as an administrator, they have the right to criticize me. Um, number one, I'd hope that we would look at it and go, can, can we do any of this better? I mean, can we, because mm. usually when there's criticism, there's some truth in that, right? <laughs> so what can we do better? And is this the first time we're hearing this? Because yeah. sometimes we don't hear the criticism. Yeah. You know, people criticize and, but they never tell anybody that can change it. Yeah. So my first response to that is we would probably, I, at least I would, and I know my, uh, many of my colleagues would look at that and go, okay, well, we can help, we can change that. Or I'm sure there's things on there to go, well, we already have that. We could, yeah, you know, so I don't, we need to do a better job of marketing some of the, it, the um, what we have. But anyway, I think that we would look at that and um, try to learn from it. And, and then some of it, we just, we, you know, we wouldn't be able to do anything about and we would not, I would, I would say we should not respond at all. Uh, and you brought up a good point. Like, what are your thoughts when a student has a complaint about something when the university already has a resource for that? Because <laughs> I feel like that happens a lot where students may feel like we should have da 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 or we should be doing yeah. this. And it's like, we do. Yeah, or we're, we've done is, that. This is the <laughs> world we're living in right now. <laughs> and it's interesting, too, because, and this is a bit off topic, well, not, maybe not off topic, but sort of off topic, we have, we realized in the pandemic that we, we stood up all of these different resources and opportunities for our students in 2020, coming back to, to campus in the fall of 2020. And then when we met with our students that fall, like our student leaders, like SAC and SGA, um, I, I say SAC, it's our student advisory council here at Augusta University. I'm not the one that you know you're involved with it with all the the SGA presidents across the university system, but our student leaders on our campus, when we we were saying things like, you know, this we had a website, you know, for all the resources that we had and all the information, and we were sending it out via email, we were sending it out via um, social media, and we were you know all of these ways to communicate it. And then our students looked at us and were like, we've never heard of that before at all. And we're like, what, what, what? We were really, yeah. I was really frustrated. I know others were too. What more can we do to message and advertise to our students what we have? And we're still seeing that. Um, in fact, uh, about three or four weeks ago, we asked our students, do you all, what about bulletin boards? Who likes bulletin boards? Every one of them raised their hands and were like, man, we've been trying to go away from the analog and more digital. We need to go back to the analog. Maybe that's the way to, to market to it. But yeah, we have that a lot where students complain about something and we say, well, we have a solution. We've, we're already doing that. 
Yeah, I feel like, especially when I was at Shea President, students would say, like, oh, like, there should be this or there should be that. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> and I would look at them like, yeah, we we do that. Or we did, or we had that type of event you're asking yeah. for, and, you know, I don't know why you missed it. It was a great turnout, or, you know, whatever the case may be. Yep. Uh, any final thoughts on what we discussed today to kind of help our students as they kind of learn more about freedom of expression on campus? I think... I think this episode is good because it gives people a different perspective in terms of, you know, I was, I very much was a person a, a couple months ago before we had a conversation who mm -hmm. um, was like, oh, denounce all the hate and, you know, you know, but also, you know, not to say that I'm open to accepting what those people are saying. Um, but it's insightful to hear your thoughts and how you th how you think so that I can inquire about how, how we got here. Um, not to say that you're wrong or anything, but to just really wonder, you know, what is the situation? How do, how do you think? Um, and I think it should really, it should be taken as an episode where people can open their eyes to being open to listening to other people's ideas, um, whether they think they're good or not. Um, and yeah, and just really just accepting people well you're this person you believe this way and that's just how it is to piggyback on that i think when we silence people mm. we we don't ever get the opportunity to to resolve the conflict yeah. it just we just stay divided and we're in our echo chambers mm -hmm. right and we never come together and try to resolve the issue or get to a to a, a better place i mean i feel like we're always um we, we've got to be willing to grow. We've got to be willing to learn. Um, a couple of points that I would say, you know, final and in, in just as we wrap this episode up. If, if there is, if, if we allow the government to tell us what is good and what is bad speech, speech-wise, or allow the, 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 the majority of the population to dictate that, then that will always be turned around on the minority. Mm. And that's what's scary about us as, a, as, a, as a, um, a free nation, a nation who, where we are free um, here in the United States. What's scary about um, you know, censoring speech is that it will always be turned around on the, on the minority. Um, as educational institutions, there was a, a college president, I think it was at UC Irvine, who said if, if institutions are not fundamentally safe spaces for speech, then institutions become institutions of indoctrination instead mm -hmm. of true education. Yeah. Because if we're, if, we're, if we're politically motivated or we're, or we're content um, motivated by what it, we believe or, or, the, or the majority believes or the government believes or the, the university administration believes is important, then that becomes more indoctrination of those beliefs rather than true education of us, you know, experiencing the world and, and, and finding ways for us to grow and progress as people. That's why I think it's important. Well, I really appreciate both of you kind of sharing some insights and I hope everyone watching kind of take what you need from this conversation and hopefully you're able to have some important dialogues with yeah. not only friends and people in your circle, but as we mentioned today, having some interesting conversation with folks outside of that as well. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I certainly did. Uh, being able to reminisce a little bit with Dr. Wallace was fun. Having D back was always fun. And it was great to talk to Kim about her experiences as well. And I really hope, and I seriously hope that you guys are able to just take what you need from this conversation, like I mentioned earlier, and be able to have some important dialogues with your friends, family, classmates, and folks around you on campus that you may haven't been able to talk to before. And like we talked about earlier, it's not always about being able to persuade each other or change each other's minds on how we think and behave, but just come to an understanding. So that was the point of this episode. I hope you uh, enjoyed it. I know I certainly did. And I'll see y'all in the next one.